Welcome back for another episode of the Endless Borough Podcast. You're all very welcome. I am, as always, your host, Keith Russell. On this episode, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by the lovely Eva Sweeney. Eva has been very open and honest about her own battles with anorexia followed by bulimia. But I'm delighted to say that she's in a much, much better place and looking very healthy today in her nice white jumper that I nearly wore, a matching jumper myself. But anyway... <laughs> Eva, how are you? How's it going? Thanks very much for taking the time to come on the podcast because I know you're very picky about what podcast you do. So I'm, I'm very honoured you've you actually decided to do mine. Thanks very much, Keith. Um, I'm great. Um, I have been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. Yeah. Um, but I think the nerves maybe got the uh, better yeah. of me. Um, yeah. So eventually I just pulled the trigger and I said, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and you're on now, so I'm not letting you leave. <laughs> Let's no, I'm gonna run out the door now too. Yeah. Oh, look, I kind of, I like to keep my podcast fairly short, so like we'll do about two hours, and and that'll be it. And you know, <laughs> I won't be only joking. I won't be two hours. Uh, right, so let's get going on this. So obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, you've kind of you you've been very open and honest about your battle, and you're looking great now, and you're recovered nearly recovered you are recovered aren't you you're doing much much better now aren't you um I would have been always afraid to say that I was 100% recovered up mm. until about the last I would say six months okay um and I was more so afraid that if I did say it I would almost ah uh, let guard down mm. and basically that the shit would just hit the fan and that mm. my behaviors would all come back so it's only in the last I'd say four or five months that I can actually say confidently that I am 100% fully recovered wow. and it's great yeah well done I'm just I know people are listening to this but if they can see your face when you're actually saying <laughs> that it's you know your big smile on your face you look up and so you should be absolutely delighted with yourself and proud of yourself but you genuinely do look fantastic and you look very very healthy so fair play to you really really well done um i was thinking maybe if we take a bit of a step back in time as i usually say that to people i have to change i have to get a new saying i'm always saying that to people but what started you kind of on the road to eating disorders i mean was it an early age for you that you kind of noticed things or how would you describe it for yourself okay well if i just take you back i would have been always slim child um, I didn't have any issues with food. Um, then about the age of eight or nine, I developed quite a severe stammer, right. which is partly the reason why I don't like doing podcasts. <laughs> um, because yeah. even though I have done speech therapy and my stammer is, I suppose you could say cured, and mm. I still would have um the odd slip up when I'm very very nervous yeah, yeah um yeah. I do do a particular type of breathing exercise that helps yeah. me with this called costal breathing okay so the stammer would have come about eight or nine right and that was my first experience with anxiety um and at that age it was quite severe anxiety 
Um, so much so that in school, I was just terrified of going to school that I'd be asked to read or I just, I always had this fear. And I think from about that time, I always felt completely different to everybody else. I felt like I wasn't the same as everyone else, that I couldn't fit in, that I was just different. Um, and around that age was when I think I would have started to put on weight. Not a huge pile, but I think a combination of puberty um, and the anxiety of the stammer, I think, was causing me to emotionally eat. Um, so around that time, I also went to a paediatrician. Um, and I was actually seeing him for a couple of years. Um, I had a condition uh, called uh, constipation. So I struggled to uh, use the toilet. And again, looking back, I think that was also anxiety related, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so I distinctly remember going into that pediatrician's office and he was obviously treating me for the constipation and he started me on uh, laxatives, which was probably the worst thing he could have ever done. <laughs> um, but at the time I did need them. Um, and in his, at the office, he literally turned to my mom and said, she's overweight. She needs to lose weight. She's very, very overweight. And I can still hear to a his voice. Yeah, and I can still hear his voice. And it was just, it was the most degrading, demoralizing yeah. moment that any child should have to. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's about promoting obesity or being overweight. But I was a chubby child. I was not by any means overweight. And right. um, I did have quite a bit of a puppy fat, if okay. you like. Okay. Okay. But I can see his face okay. 20 years on. It's okay. that traumatic. And I've done a lot of therapy around away from me because I would still have kind of uh, memories, uh, flashbacks. Yeah. From can you remember how you felt at the time? I know you said it was like a degrading thing to hear, but do you is that how you felt as a nine year old? Like, can you remember how you actually felt when the doctor said that to your mother? I felt so much shame, I think. Okay. You know, um, it was like he was treating me like it was me that was causing it, or mm. it was a bad thing to be or and I suppose when you are that young the worst thing to be told is that you're not good enough or that you're flawed in some way it's a good way of putting it yeah flawed yeah yeah Mm, and particularly at that age of kind of nine like that's a pivotal kind of age that you're transitioning from childhood into a puberty and exactly i've got a nine-year-old son at the moment so i mean i just you know i know exactly what you're talking about for you know a child at that age you know so right so you went to the doctor and he prescribes laxatives for your constipation right so 
yeah. what happened then so you went on them um things improved uh physically psychologically I think I was probably always a very hypersensitive kid and that really really damaged me um and I would have noticed over the year or two after that that my confidence was just on the floor um I couldn't integrate with the kids in the class anymore in school I went into myself I was really really quiet um yeah. I just completely changed you know yeah. um and he would have started me on these uh, laxatives um that at the time I did need but unfortunately um at about age 13 I became both psychologically and physically addicted to these things and I stayed on them up until last year um every day every day for 20 years I took laxatives and every everything that I uh, did revolved around avoiding food purging food and keeping my weight low and and I think that's why you know like when you say this um smile on my face it's that I'm free you know, it, it was horrific. Like, I can't even explain to you the evilness and the sinisterness. Like, it's just hell on earth. Um, and I do know that if I didn't have treatment, which I did have when I was uh, 17, if I didn't have private insurance, I would 100% be dead. Right. Okay, okay. You know, and that is harrowing to yeah. even think about. So what treatment did you have when you were 17? So I was doing my Leventers and um, within that year, um, I was in a school mm-hmm. where um, it was kind of like a grind school. So it was people who were there to get big points. Um, and me at that time... I was not the most academic or studious um, by any means. Um, I struggled with English because I couldn't say the bloody quotes when my teacher would ask me in the class, can you recite Shakespeare, please? I'd be like... (sighs) The anxiety probably just like went went through the roof at that stage, did it? Oh, my God. I used to like stand outside its classroom every day and be like can I just say them outside why do I have to say them in front of everyone and he's like no and he was like you're looking very thin you should maybe eat a uh, burger like this is this is the type of excuse me your your teacher in secondary school said that to you so after the all right so the doctor says one thing to you when you're nine and then when you're in secondary school you're getting comments like that from a teacher so yeah. did, did now, the teacher know that you had um, a speech problem? He did. Okay, he knew right. I had a speech problem. Um, now, at this time, I was using restrictive behaviours probably six months. And everyone, everyone could see that I was... But the problem was, was because I was a little bit chubby before that, I was getting all these compliments. Oh, my God, you look amazing, Aoife. What are you doing? You're looking great. 
But it came to a point coming up to the leave insert that my teachers spoke to my mum and they were like, is she okay? You know, and they were they were kind of concerned. But I think they thought that I was probably stressed over the exams. Um, so yeah, I continued uh, losing weight. I went to college that, mm-hmm. um, I went to college in um, Scotland, um, okay. which was difficult because mm-hmm. at this time I was in complete denial. I thought I didn't have any eating problems. I thought I was eating healthily. I had never heard of the term before or mm. bulimia anorexia I didn't have a clue about it yeah. so yeah. over there um initially I had a great time I was in college I was going out for drinks and everything and enjoying myself I suppose and it came to a point that the behaviors were just they were just so out of control okay. um I remember being on a treadmill running in the gym attached to the college and I was sprinting on this treadmill and I was shivering from the cold. And that's one thing that I think people um, do not understand unless they have been very ill is the, the painful cold that you feel when you're that ill is just indescribable I remember somebody taking me for a treat to a spa and I literally was crying from the cold in the spa Jesus I was just I got chillblains on my fingers on my toes I was just in a bad bad way and I eventually got treatment thankfully um in a unit in uh, Dublin what age were you when you went for the treatment uh when I went for treatment I was just about to turn 18 so you're 18 and you went for the treatment in Dublin so you were did you come back from college at that stage I did um what basically happened was when I was in college I knew that I wasn't right I knew that there was something wrong but I hadn't a clue actually the severity of things Um, and I didn't admit to even to myself let alone other people that I was really really struggling and I remember just one particular day over there I just found this little church and I went into the church and it's I will never ever forget it I literally sat in the church for about two, three hours and I was like, what is going on? I like, mm. I know some people say they knew exactly when it occurred and they knew they knew uh, what they were doing. Mm. For me, I was in a complete trance. The only way I can describe it is I was just on another planet. Um, mm. I knew that I was thin. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. the behaviors they okay. were so entrenched um so it's been I going on for so long that yeah that's a good word entrenched so you know it was going on for so long that it was nearly the behaviors were just part of you at this stage you know there's mm. just part of your daily habit your daily routine really mm. you know 
Mm. Um, or yeah, okay. So just before you go on there, I was wanted to ask you because just in case people aren't too familiar about the laxative part, so you were mm-hmm. taking laxatives for quite a long time. Why were you taking them? Because I know you mentioned this to me yesterday, and I wasn't too familiar about the whole laxative kind of connection with um, eating disorders. Do, are you able to just explain a little bit about that? I will do, yeah. Um, so I think it has become more common. Um, the thing about them is they are available everywhere. They're in um, pharmacies. They're absolutely everywhere. Um, the idea behind them in, I suppose, an EG mindset is they're going to effectively purge everything you eat. So anything that you eat, you think isn't absorbed because it's literally going through you. I know that sounds <laughs> awful, but that is yeah. it. Um, now, to be to be totally honest with you, there has been research done that this is bullshit, which it is. It would change uh, your weight, but right. only because your uh, your uh, water weight is changing. It's not actually fat. Right. Okay. Okay. If, if you understand, hmm. so you're absolutely fooling yourself to think that you're going to lose weight taking laxatives but yes okay. you can't stop and it got to the point that I couldn't actually handle the feeling of feeling full or food there because I was just so so used to literally emptying out my bowel three four five times a day would people take laxatives instead of or maybe as well as making yourself vomit would it be exactly the same thing? I suppose. I suppose you're emptying yourself out, just yeah. just doing it a different way. People um would tend to do either both or okay. one or the other. Um, I was at the stage that I was probably spending twenty quid a week on laxatives. And okay. um, I think a pack of thirty is probably three something. Okay. So. And would you take one, is it one a day or is it at one at, at every meal or how does it work? This is the thing that I really think people should be aware of hmm. is that you think abusing them is taking six, eight, ten a day. It's okay. not. Um, and my kind of thoughts were kind of, oh, I'm only taking two every day. And sure. On the back of the pack, it says you can take two Senecot every day, right? Mm. So that's not true at all, which I I now know that Mm. it's like whether you're taking two or 12, you're still flushing out your system. You're doing serious damage. Um, Go on, sorry. Yeah, no, go on. And I actually had a lot of problems with my immunity towards the end um because basically my system was so depleted because everything was just being washed through and mm. um, at the same time I would have definitely vomited um occasionally but it wouldn't as been as severe I could count probably on one hand the mm. um yeah. yeah and part of me I think felt like a failed bulimic because I couldn't vomit, which is horrific. 
to think now. Yeah. Yeah. Does it say on the pa- on the box or the packaging for for the laxatives um, that you can misuse them or you know like say if you go into a chemist and you buy say Nurofen Plus for example because it's codeine in them they'll say no more than three days. Do you, is there a warning with laxatives on boxes saying no longer than I don't know a week or whatever? Like is there is there anything on them at all? There's not. Um, there is one um, sentence that if you are using them over a prolonged period of time, you should consult your GP. For what? Um, consult them. We don't know. Don't know. No, like I mean, uh, we know, but I mean, if someone was to read that box and say consult your GP, they might say for what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they became so addictive that um, I could not go a day without them now as i said i was inverted commas only taken two but it was every day for 20 years yeah 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 okay Um, right so you're sitting in the church you're yeah you're loving it in the church it's your new new favorite place i'm Um, not even religious (laughs) what i'm not even religious yeah you're not yeah all right so you found your new favorite non-religious church yeah. And you've had like this epiphany where you're finally realized there's something wrong. Yeah. Mm. Right. So something wrong. something wrong. So you head off back home, do you? You head back home. I, I actually was due to go home for the uh, weekend. So right. when I arrived home at Tip, my mum just broke down. Um obviously it, it had been two or three months since she had seen me. And I was ghastly. Thin. Right, okay. I was right. severely underweight. Um, I remember it like everybody thinks that EDs are all about uh, your looks and uh, vanity. Like at that stage, I didn't give a shit about what I looked like. I was in the thickest, ugliest fleece you could see because I was just so cold all the time. Um, so this idea that eating issues are glamorous is just so further from the truth. Um, at my sickest, like I literally didn't give a shit about how I looked. Nothing. I didn't care about anything other than uh, baking it through the day on as low calories as I possibly could my worst was probably about two three hundred calories two three hundred yeah because you, you said that to me yesterday and i was trying to i was trying to kind of calculate mm-hmm. what, what that would be and you you knew straight away that it was what did you say to me was that an apple and, and a cappuccino is that what you said to me yeah um, my yeah. worst i've been eating that you know so an apple and a cup of coffee all day yeah and a cup of tea maybe if yeah like as in a cup of tea to me used to be a meal yeah right. literally used to be a meal I used to think of it like like yeah. there was just all these crazy rules like if I was to drink tea it would have to be two o'clock in the day for my meal it couldn't be in between it was just crazy yeah so you're completely consumed with I suppose food and you know everything that goes with mm. it and yeah like mm. it must be I mean I know because like you know I've been quite open with my own story so I mean I know how I mean I know how exhausting it can be to 
constantly thinking about something the whole time. So for me, it was the body dysmorphia. So, you know, you're constantly consumed about something and it's mentally and physically exhausting. And then for you, when you're not actually really eating anything either, you must be I remember going shattered. Absolutely exhausted. But the weird thing is, is a lot of people talk about when you become so ill and so malnourished, you almost have this euphoric energy. It's weird. Um, So I basically could still jog. I could still walk around the place. I could still run. I actually had more energy then at a BMI of probably 18 than I do now. Yeah. That's no joke. I just had this false adrenaline energy. Um, and just the obsession with food because you're so so hungry. Like I remember going into a grocery store and I didn't buy a thing, but I just went around all the aisles looking at all the food I was dying to eat that I just couldn't eat. And I was absolutely fascinated by all the different types of breads, all the different types of chocolate. And I was just staring at it like, I wish I could eat this. And I would just walk out of the supermarket, go into Starbucks, grab my low-fat cappuccino, and that was it, you know? What a miserable existence. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's when you say it like that, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. Um, So your your mother was distraught really pretty much when she saw you. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier on you ended up in uh what way did you you ended up in a hospital was it or for treatment Uh, yeah so initially my mom hadn't a clue what was wrong with me I think she thought I was actually sick with something uh physical so my first port of call was my GP um my GP kind of said okay Aoife you know you're very thin could you try to introduce some more cream into your coffee and eat a load of uh, calorie foods and yeah yeah. so I think even then people were kind of like we don't think she has a problem it still didn't don't think you have a problem okay right yeah it's it still kind of didn't really sink in that this girl has a serious issue with food everyone thought she's either stressed or she's a little bit run down or she could be sick with something so were you never you know like having a meal with people or your family I know you're away in college but even when you came home like were you not sitting at the table having a meal with them where you know they might be able to pick up some red flags or some triggers or something like that or were you able to kind of conceal Um, things or I think the eating disorder was very, very clever. That's why I say it's extremely evil. It's a horrible illness. Um, it was able to, I think, fool and uh, manipulate everyone around me. So it was either that I had eaten already, it was that I was full, um, or or I was eating with people, and that's the only time that I was eating. So I could cover it up kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. So you had your stories all, all set and ready to go, really, you know? Yeah. Like I, I would be conscious of 
saying that I had the stories ready because I think there comes a point where your person is gone and the ED has just taken over. Yeah, okay, okay. You don't even have a sense of self anymore. It's that severe. Okay, yeah. So how did you end up actually in somewhere getting help if your GP didn't really feel that was too much to worry about? So I was home and I tried to introduce the cream in my coffee and all of these high calorie foods. And every time I tried to, I just broke down crying. And I remember this overwhelming sense of just guilt. I felt so much guilt. And if I was to say the one feeling that a person with eating issues has, it is that word guilt. Mm. You just have this. And it's it's an astronomical guilt that you can't even describe. Like you just feel like you've murdered someone. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, you just yeah. feel yeah. so so guilty for eating, even for drinking water. I used mm. to feel guilty for, do you know, for drinking water. But um, it came to the stage that I was trying to introduce these foods. And I kept crying. And then my mom was like, there's something going on here. And we headed back to my GP. My GP referred me to a consultant in uh, Dublin. Mm-hmm. I saw him. Um, that was the first time that somebody actually mentioned the word, the anorexia to me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so that was the first time you had, that yeah. someone had actually brought that topic up. Anorexia yeah, was yeah. just the word that he used. And I remember sitting there and I was like, you've got this wrong. I couldn't have anorexia. I was overweight as a kid. How in the name of God, because how could I have anorexia? Yeah. And he was an expert and literally I was skin and bone, but I was convinced that this guy had got it wrong. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so away home we went and I was admitted into St. Pat's six weeks later. Um, the unit I was six weeks later. Um, so what happened? Sorry for so what happened in the six weeks of going home and then you weren't so you weren't admitted for another six weeks what happened in those six weeks did they give you a diet plan or or anything or were you just did we just sent on your way so right we'll see you in six weeks we'll see you in six weeks and this particular unit only had a small number of uh, beds so unfortunately um I did have to uh, wait. Um, another thing about this unit is in order to be admitted, your BMI had to be below a certain threshold. Okay. So there's kind of the idea of, I think a lot of people who have been through the system would feel that they almost have to be sick enough for treatment, um, which is just complete bullshit. Because um, anyone who knows a BMI has uh, it, part of it is to do with your height as well, isn't it? Exactly. So exactly. it doesn't necessarily, yeah, exactly. So you could be quite tall and have a BMI that, you know, will say that you're okay, 
when clearly you're mm. not and you won't get a bed in this place because you're tall i know it's more to it than that but mm. you know would you say that that's kind of it really like they say in there that a healthy bmi is 20 to 25 at this point mine was probably 70 17 right okay which is quite serious. At this point, my period had stopped about a year, which was very significant. Yeah, okay. And very, very worrying. Um, so within that six weeks at home, I remember feeling like I don't deserve treatment at this weight. I need to be thinner to deserve treatment and to deserve the help. But at the same point in time, I was coming to the idea that I believed him that maybe, not 100%, but maybe uh, this guy could be right, you know? Yeah. Um, but another part of me was still in that constant uh, denial. Um, yeah. I went in for treatment. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I have to say the care, the care that I received was absolutely fantastic physically and okay. um, I do think psychologically there could have been more there um I'm 29 now so this is going back 10 years ago 11 years ago so I feel things have changed for sure but in there like it was just basically you were there to completely rest you were not allowed to walk on the corridor you were complete rest you were on three meals per day three uh nutritional uh, milkshakes uh, basically and um, you were weighed on a monday morning and on a thursday and um your job was to basically increase weight okay okay yeah. so obviously they can't i suppose it's done kind of incrementally so they can't really just go and just give you a lot of stuff so obviously because you haven't eaten you know a lot in so long i suppose they have to give you a little bit and then they you have to build it's yourself up, up i suppose yeah yeah, yeah so, so that's up. basically not basically but that's kind of what you were doing there so you were just resting and being given nutrients and just trying to to build yourself back up so so if they built you they built you back up to maybe a certain weight and then what did they do did they just say right you're at a certain weight off you go or because you said something about the psychological help as well yeah so I think even there I was almost at a healthy BMI um, and then I was allowed to travel up on the train two or three days per week just as a kind of a check-in uh basically you'd go up at 11 o'clock in the day you'd have your two meals and you would go home so it was more so i would say help around eating the meals because at home i wouldn't have been as strict at home i was trying to cut corners at that point and i was trying to yeah. leave out this and yeah like yeah. the stress that I put on my parents like was just unbelievable every meal time was just a battle 
Um, yeah. Were you there voluntarily? I was. I was there. So you could leave any time you wanted. I could leave any time I wanted. Okay. Yeah. So how long were you there um, for? I was there for inpatient nine weeks, and then I was a day patient for probably six weeks. So I would have been going two or three days a week. Okay, and what was that just for checkups and, or did you just have to? Just for checkups. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, was there many? You said there was only a few, a few beds there. There was only a few people at, at you know, at a single time. Inpatient beds, there was eight, and I think on the program you could have around twenty or thirty people there. Okay. Okay. But it was very, very small numbers, like mm. very small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing much better now, but that you were there for nine weeks, and then you're there as a day patient after, and. Mm. So what were you like at home then? Afterwards? Oh, I was horrific at home. Okay. I think from being in treatment around other people with the issue, um, I had kind of uh, taken on uh, rituals and ways to avoid eating and things that I think I, I wouldn't have uh, learned or picked up had I of not been in treatment so that would be I suppose the cons of being in treatment is I picked up certain things that were weird or that were unusual yeah yeah so were Um, we able to develop say a healthy relationship with food so in other words say when we able to work on your mental health side of things so around that time I started seeing a therapist Okay. Um, I had gone to a all-girls boarding school um, and I had trauma from that. Um, it wasn't a good experience for me. Um, I hated every second of it. And that was kind of the trauma of that. And a few traumatic events would mm. have led to this being a low self-worth which contributed to the eating issues um so I started doing therapy and I relapsed so a lot of the weight that I put on up there I lost I relapsed into the anorexia again at this point I would have been 2021 I didn't have uh, bulimia um I was always taking the the uh the uh, laxatives mm. but I wouldn't have had bulimic tendencies so I wouldn't have been uh binging or purging or anything like that it was just mm. solely restricting um, and I remember um one particular evening I just broke down crying and I just I said to my mom, I'm so hungry. I was just so starved. Mm. Um, and that was my first, I suppose, episode of um, bulimia. So um, for some people, a binge could be four, maybe five uh, biscuits. For other people, it could be a loaf of bread. Mm. For me, at that size, like three to four slices of toast was a lot mm. for my stomach. 
Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning of the bulimia. Um, I would have experimented with purging um, and also being sick after meals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the thing about it was, is that slightly, not a whole pie, but I was increasing weight and everyone was like, this is great. She's putting on weight. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. After this three-year battle, she's finally getting up to a healthy weight. But what they didn't know is that I was basically going straight from the anorexia into bulimia, which is extremely common. Um, a lot of people I have spoken to in recovery, it would have started out that way. Okay. And it led into bulimia. Um, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Um, I think your system is so clever that it can only go so long starved. Mm. And it, it came to a point that I just had this extreme, overwhelming hunger. Um, and I think that contributed to the bulimia. And also they say, as you get older, bulimia is more common. So um, the anorexia is kind of common in your late teens. Bulimia is kind of in your 20s, they say. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, along with the bulimia, when I was recovering from it, so I would have reached a normal BMI, mm. but through bulimia. So yeah. I had reached it, but yeah. it was through bulimia. Yeah. So at around age 25, 26, I would have been in a place of quasi recovery that I was having the very odd episode. Um, but overall, I was doing pretty good. And then what I found was, is I started experimenting with, instead of food, I used to binge on alcohol. And that that just opened up another can of worms. Um, there kind of is that term, I suppose, drunkorexia, which is, yeah, yeah. Whereas you save your calories and you drink them, basically. Right. Um, and I wouldn't have ever had a problem with alcohol, but I would have been leaning on a crutch, as a crutch. Um, I couldn't express emotion. I couldn't cry. I couldn't feel anything. I was completely numb if I didn't drink. Um, I didn't have any self-esteem if I didn't drink. I didn't have any confidence if I didn't drink. Um, and the thing about it was, is that because I was so sick and because I was literally all these behaviors and not eating properly, if if I did have two or three beers, I was hammered. Yeah, I was just thinking that as you were saying that, she went yeah. nothing in your stomach and yeah. Yeah, I was hammered. Yeah. So, yeah. so did you end up going back to therapy? So like, obviously, as we said, like you're in a much better place now. So when that was, you're you in your mid-twenties at that stage, weren't you? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm 29 now and right. I would say I'm in recovery since the beginning of the second lockdown so I'm in recovery about a year and a bit okay so what did yeah. you find was really kind of the main or maybe there probably is no main 
source of uh, kind of what helped but how did you kind of get over that hurdle to kind of be where you are now or was it a mixture of therapy I, and just kind of working on your own mental health or, or what yeah worked for you? Um, it was definitely therapy addressing the past which was extremely painful for me to mm. to go through um I had a absolutely fantastic therapist um like there was things that I needed to speak um about that I just wasn't right um so I did speak about them and they were always kind of hanging on to the laxatives they were the very last thing to go so I would have been eaten normally uh I wouldn't have had behaviors other than the laxatives from about 27 to 29 if you like okay um and then during the first uh, pandemic lockdown, completely relapsed. Um, when I say I relapsed, I don't think I relapsed full swing into the eating issues. It was more so depression. I just couldn't live like this anymore. I just could not live with this demon harassing me anymore. Um, it was just... They're 24-7 controlled, everything I did, everything I said, um, every single, every single thing I did. Um, so I contacted my GP and I actually was admitted into St. Pat's. So that was about a year ago now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and what happened? Um, this time around, it was very, very different. So my BMI was, again, air quotes. I wish everyone could see the little quotes I'm putting <laughs> up. Um, my BMI was normal, so it would have been 2021. 20, so it was normal, but it was kind of on the low side, if you like. Yeah. Um, and because it was normal, I was taken into paths, but there was only eight beds on EGP. So if you were... Huh? What did you say? EDP? Um, EDP is the Eating uh, Disorder Program. Right. Okay. So basically it is a part of St. Pat's that is solely for uh, difficulties eating. Yeah. Okay. Um, It's a tiny, tiny unit. It's only, I think, six or eight beds. But because my BMI was okay, I wasn't in there. So I was on like a arm reward for uh, depression, if like, um, which okay. was a good thing, which I was happy about because I think if I had gone into that environment again that I was in all those years ago, it would have been very triggering for me. Yeah, yeah. It would have been very triggering. So I was glad I was in there. And this time around, there was just so much more. There was therapy. There was no focus on the eating or the food, which there would have been mm. 10 years prior. This time it was all on trauma patterns and yeah. why we feel the way that we feel. Um, our so that's good progress, really, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot more of, uh, as you said, a focus on the mental side of things as well, which is, which yeah. is, which is great, you know. Yeah. How, how long were you there for this time? There for three months. Oh, you were there for three months? Okay, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And when you left yeah. after three months, how did you feel? 
Um, I felt amazing. It Did was you? the right. longest period I had ever gone without laxatives because she cut them. Now I had a fantastic doctor in there. Like mm. she's just unreal. She's just amazing at what she does and she just cut them from day one and there was arguments with her and I was arguing with I'd say was the worst patient but at the same time I think she really respected me because I was always a hundred percent honest I was a hundred percent honest I was upfront about everything because I just could not live like this anymore I couldn't live like this anymore and like I knew that she needed to help me but because of the way services were in the country, um, there was things that I needed access to that I just couldn't because they weren't there. So there was a hospital a dietitian, mm-hmm. um, but she was reserved for people who were critical. So I desperately needed a dietitian yeah. because I was in full swing bulimia. I needed a dietitian to like, sort out my food and I think the main thing that helped me with the bulimia was not restricting because the more you restrict food the more you're going to get overly hungry you're going to get extreme hunger you're going to eat and then you're going to throw up or you're going to take laxatives so I had to I absolutely had to eat every three hours okay right okay and could was there anything you wanted or was it so much um, like yeah like the meal plan was quite good in that it was like normal everyday food and um, i found personally through reading books and doing podcasts that if i said no to something like i can never have a, a chocolate um that was a disaster yeah i was setting myself up for failure because I was saying no never can I have chocolate Mm. um so I started to have two or three squares every day and I cured that kind of obsession if you like (laughs) um yeah with chocolate because it was probably the main fear food I had um it's my favorite food I love chocolate now and I just (laughs) I don't make any qualms about it. If I want some chocolate, I eat chocolate. End of story. Yeah. Um, whereas in the past, it was, I cannot have a chocolate. If yeah. if I do have it, I have to do A, B, and C. Yeah. And those A, B, and C were either restricting the next day, fasting the next day, vomiting, yeah. all so, that jazz, so, you yeah. know? So your, your routine was basically centered around food whether it was negatively or positively it didn't really make a difference it was just it was centered around food Mm. yeah and as well as that um I was constantly weighing myself so I used to weigh myself probably two to three times a day um and thankfully we do not have a scales in this house the last year so that is something I'm very very proud of yeah and I I completely stopped that and that yeah. was difficult to stop. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well done. Um, we're kind of running out of time because we've been here quite a while. Um so <laughs> and I'm f- still just as nervous. <laughs> yeah, look, you've been absolutely fantastic, but you had a couple of things that you wanted to mention 
So we'll wrap it up fairly soon. So you had a couple of things you wanted to mention. Do you still want to mention them or do you want to go? How are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, um, I think just to say that since the pandemic, there has been an 128% increase. There's actually been 66% increase in children with eating disorders. So it's extremely yeah. prevalent. It's yeah. very, very worrying, you know. Yeah. And there is help available, but unfortunately, from my experience, you have to fight for it you know okay. um which is ridiculous but it's just the way that the system is here um they just they don't have the experience or the capacity to treat just the hundreds and thousands of people mm. who are suffering with eating disorders in Ireland yeah. um and I think a lot of people, GPs, at dietitians, they're just catching people where they fall because there's people everywhere. It's so, so putting big. Putting out fires, really, isn't it? Putting out fires, yeah. Mm. And unfortunately, you... I don't know if it's true, but I know a lot of people in recovery feel that treatment comes too late. It comes at the critical stage. And I really feel like if it was just a little bit earlier, we would save a lot more people. What would you like to see happen? Um, I would 100% like to see schools being informed about okay. uh, the eating disorders um, that are prevalent today. Um, I think if there had been a talk or some kind of a, I don't know, some uh, sort some of like kind of yeah, for yeah it. exactly when i was in school it might have just clicked with me if you may have a problem here um yeah. i think as well as that gps need to be more educated on them because some gps they just they they don't know like what to do do you it know a, yeah i think it could be a generational thing as well i have heard some gps are brilliant and some somewhere yeah. the best on it you know I yeah. suppose it probably is just a generational thing as well um yeah the biggest thing that I would love to change Keith is operation transformation to be struck off RT after Christmas I don't want to see it I'm not a big fan of it myself but I know exactly I why you're saying that yeah I totally agree yeah. with you yeah yeah, yeah. weighing people on tv I could go on for another yeah. hour all of this yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And you're not the first person I've heard to say that either. Um, yeah, I think probably the, the the less said about that, the better. As you said, it'd be a whole new podcast if you start going down the road of that stuff. Um, before we let you go, um, and thanks very much for coming on as well, Aoife, because that was fascinating. And you did really well, because I know you're a little nervous coming on. And I have to say, that was absolutely fantastic. It, really, really, it was really good. Um, before we let you go, do you want to give anyone... Um, any information on where they can find you or do you want to be filmed at all? <laughs> uh, the only thing I will say is that I have had a few people come to me through uh, social media looking for advice. I am not qualified or educated nearly enough to give anybody 
uh, recommendations. And um, all I can do is maybe pass on uh, books that I've read. I've read lots and lots of books on eating disorders, podcasts, and um, there is a very good dietitian also who I see. Um, she's absolutely brilliant. So I would feel comfortable doing that. But given anybody advice I'm a little bit wary of to be honest yeah I always say the same thing anyway like I said that on a few podcasts before that and in any interview that I've done I usually say the same thing this is I'm, I'm always quite wary of giving people advice Um, I kind of like to just let people kind of share their story so you know and I'm quite happy to, you know to chat about it but I'm always I'm exactly the same I'm always a bit worried about giving people advice Um. Do you want to watch your Instagram account? Because you've got some good stuff up there. I know, I know your name. I just don't know the name of the Instagram account. I have to, I have to check. Yeah. This is how bad I am at Because <laughs> I search for people by their name, but I can never remember what their Instagram accounts are called. It's, it's only in the last, I'd say, five years that I know how to send an email. Would you believe that? Jesus Christ. I missed all what of do you. you like? important things when I was growing up when I was too busy yeah engaged in stupid behaviors so my Instagram is Aoife Sweens so A-O-I-F-E-S-W-E-E-N-S oh brilliant and I'll put it in the description of this podcast anyway um right we're gonna wrap things up if you want anything else you want to add (laughs) but I'm glad that I did it I'm glad that you know it is important to to show people that recovery is so so possible and mm. do not let anybody tell you that it's not or that it's been too long or that you're too sick that's it is always possible and you just have to keep fighting on keep chipping away at that stone and eventually it'll just all come together yeah yeah I 100% agree with you trust me I agree with you <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about and if, I, and if anyone is watching this if we put the video up you'll see it but if you're not watching that video you'll see that Eva's body language through this whole podcast has been very very relaxed so don't believe a word of what she's saying she's but you've looked very very your body language has looked very very relaxed so trust me yeah you've been fine it's just with the public speaking Keith like I still get so nervous about public speaking yeah yeah you know yeah it's mad like what our our trauma patterns can actually mm. Yeah. Well, right, we're going to wrap things up, guys. Um, I want to thank Eva for coming on the podcast again. She was fantastic. And we will be back again with another podcast very soon. So, guys, I'll see you all again very soon. Bye for now.